0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: You're listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and
2: 107.5. The Fan. Jake, I'm reading this. Um, you know Seth Wickersham, ESPN? Yes, sir. How would you kind of characterize him in the sports media world?
1: The New Orleans Saints. Am I being too critical?
2: Um, I guess I would necessarily wasn't thinking NFL team, When I think Seth Wickersham, and he writes a piece, I think,
1: must read, Yeah, no, tons okay. of detail. I thought you meant like in terms of like his, you know like how often he's like breaking big stories or that kind
2: yeah, of thing. Yeah, I don't think he's like a newsbreaker necessarily. Put, okay, how about
1: this? How about this? A a slightly less ubiquitous and annoying Bill Simmons. Like like I love when Bill Simmons first came out, I loved reading him and then it kinda got to be the same thing over and over and over. And it was like uh, okay, enough.
2: Wickersham's latest uh Andrew Luck finally reveals why he walked away from the NFL. Um, so I was kind of in the midst of reading that, as you'd expect. Pretty long piece. Um, a little surprised Andrew did that. What is it? And what does it say? Uh, I'm in the midst of reading, so I have not gotten to that point yet.
1: Because,
2: I don't know, I felt like, you know, he did all that stuff with Zach Kiefer this off season, off the record. The podcast, and it just seemed like he was kind of content with that side of it. I, I I don't I don't know maybe he will say why he feels the need to do it now. Um, you know I don't know if having another daughter. I, I I don't know exactly if there's a life event that, in there or anything like in, from that realm that he felt the urge to do like why now?
1: What I heard was. It might have been Zach that mentioned this. I, I, I can't recall, but I think there were a couple of things that went into play. And I know it's kind of a tired subject to people around here. I get that, but but it's still relevant, obviously, when you are talking about Andrew Luck and why he walked away.
2: Was well, the first time we've ever had Luck on the record quotes about right. about it.
1: Um, so you know, supposedly he 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 was watching something or saw something of a former player in the NFL that was being interviewed and talked about his inability or his difficulty in playing with his children because of injuries, back injuries, and that Luck looked at his own daughter and was like, I'm, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm just not. And he had gone through hell in terms of rehab of different injuries, and I know people can talk about the snowboarding accident and all that, but I think I think the ankle injury in particular – and if you recall, late that ankle injury, it was like a, a a rare bone that grows off of the ankle that they they would have had to gone in to remove, perhaps, and and set him back further on his rehab. I think sometimes we overthink things, Kevin. And I haven't read the article, so I don't know exactly what it says. But but here's the thing: I I, I think sometimes we as humans have an ability to to overthink things or overcomplicate things. And, you know, just for example, a, a month ago when I was in Barcelona, I'm walking around Barcelona and I'm like, this is, this city is so beautiful, like so cool. There was such a cool vibe about it. And, you know, there's obviously kind of a romanticism of being in a different place in a different culture. And, and I thought to myself, I can only imagine what it must be like to be 28, 30 years old and know that you have more money than you will ever need and that you can travel to places like this anytime you want and soak it in and learn about it. Andrew Luck is one of those guys, I think, that wants to learn about everything that he sees and everything that he comes across. And I think that competing was very important to Andrew Luck, but I don't know that competing in football was. I think he liked the game of football. I think he loves to compete. But I don't know that he ever felt like he needed it. And I think that we sometimes have an inability to grasp that because we have a passion about something doesn't mean that those that we're passionate about share the same passion. And for Andrew Luck, that passion, I I think it came down to, I have all the money I need. I have the ability to travel around and look at the things that interest me like old Roman architecture and different cultures and different foods and soccer matches and ride my bike through Milan and whatever else. And I still have my health and it's been helling back to rehab different things and I'm just not doing it anymore. I I, I mean,
2: am I overthinking it or underthinking it in that case, Kevin? You know, to sum up why I thought he retired, it was (coughs) the sacrifices that it took to play the game of football were impacting his personal life too much he, yeah. he, he could not compartmentalize the rehab aspect to it the physical toll with his relationships as a at the time a new husband a soon-to-be father um all of those things do you believe it's possible strictly conjecture i, I
1: Nothing to base this on. Do you believe it's possible that Andrew Luck was afraid of his of going back to a place where he was too dependent upon the medication that was being prescribed to him because of all the injuries he'd been through?
2: Yeah, I I don't know that. Um, I don't. Uh, you know, I've always said this about the injury. Um, the injury was nothing. You know, it, it was a calf injury. You, you compare that on the NFL scale of injuries it's not like well the the, this guy needed surgery needed three surgeries it's not an Alex Smith type injury that sent him into retirement but
1: I believe Kevin the one that the last injury they thought it was a calf injury and then if you recall remember at the very end they discovered that he had I know this sounds crazy that the calf injury was being precipitated if you will by that like weird bone that was coming off of his ankle,
2: yeah, or correct. Was called. That, and
1: that that and they they didn't realize that was what was causing the issue, and they they basically said like the the one you have to go in and have that like shaved down or removed, which was like an outpatient thing, but required a lot of recovery time. Ryan Deem had the same thing. I remember that because I remember doing. I, I remember Ryan Deem talking about it but not wanting to go like on record of it, but saying like yeah I had the same thing like that's what I had um, and not I mean he was public about the fact he had it but that but that was the end of it but and then shortly thereafter, like a week later, boom luck retired. I, I think that he I think the the thought you know it all of us have different things in life that are valleys that we go through and we're proud of ourselves for going through them. But then you look back and you go, I don't ever want to go through that again. You know, for me, it's happened like with, and I I think for, for people here, hearing my voice, the most relatable thing would be if you've ever been in a situation where you are financially in a hole or you lose a job and you fight your way through that and you make ends meet and then you get another job and you get back on your feet again and you start to develop a bit of a nest egg again and you think to yourself, okay, I made it through that but boy, I don't ever want that uncertainty again. And I think that from an athlete standpoint, you have all the money you need, but your body becomes your checking account, and you're like, man, I just I don't want to go back through that again. You know, I mean, that's. But again, I I think that the hardest thing about sports, and the one thing that I, the biggest thing that I learned or have learned in my career is I will never forget working locally in television and when the Colts lost that game to the Pittsburgh Steelers the Nick Harper Mike Vanderjagt wide right game that was the biggest sure feeling in the world that the Colts were going to the Super Bowl that year I mean it was a they were the most dominant team in football and they'd broken through and it was like, oh my gosh, this city is going to have a Super Bowl champion. This is unbelievable. And then they got beat by Pittsburgh and literally you could feel like they needed to put Prozac in the White River or in the, in the broader Pole canal, because that's the water supply for the city. And like everyone was depressed. You could feel the life come out of the city. And that night I was working in local television And we had three different players, I've told this story before, that came in that night, kudos to them, to do our Sunday night, or it might have been a Saturday night, show in studio. And while Dave First and I are feverishly editing together the final pieces of the show itself, the three players that were coming in studio came in and asked to use my computer and they were all three of them looking up vacations for the next day and booking their flights to like Tahiti and Dominican Republic. And they're like, man, where are you going? Where are you going? And and I remember thinking like, holy cow, this city is devastated. And sure, they were disappointed, don't get me wrong. But vacation came early for them. And that's when I realized that oftentimes we emotionally invest in things that forces we as people to believe that everyone has that same emotional investment. And I'm not saying Andrew Luck didn't care as an athlete, but I also think that Andrew Luck's bar of what was necessary for him to be a content human being probably was was raised or lowered by different things than that of of people that had Andrew Luck being the one that was affecting their bar. And that's a very hard thing for me and other people, I think, to grasp.
2: Yeah, and I've got no issue with you know guys when the season ends. That That's what they're doing. I mean, I think it's an incredible grind, uh, physical toll on your body, mental grind uh, to endure an NFL season. And for it to end like that, um, you do want to get away. Um, I think it's kind of hard to fully relate to because our jobs are not that necessarily... <laughs> you know, matching up with that exact physical grind, and for a lot of these guys, again, Indianapolis necessarily is, isn't home during the season either. Um, so I think that plays into uh, some of it. So uh, again, Seth Wickersham from ESPN.com, Mark, should I get him on? I will reach out. I'm again, kind of a. There's your homework assignment, Mark. I guess, like, the first time, we've had Andrew Luck on the record um, with the reasons why he left the game of football. So, just about an hour ago, maybe a
1: little more than that, but on ESPN.com, the story was released by the New York Times best-selling author, Seth Wickersham, who writes, of course, for ESPN.com, who spent extensive time with Andrew Luck. He joins us now. Mark was Johnny on the spot in getting him. So, Seth, uh, first and foremost, thanks so much for your time this morning, and let's get right to it. Uh, when exactly was the time period... And how much time, I guess, did you spend around Andrew Luck to be able to come up with this very comprehensive piece?
3: Hey, thanks, guys. Um, you know, I visited him a lot of times. Uh, we spoke late last year for the first time, February, May, uh, July, and September. So those are the times that I that I saw him.
2: And did- you you wrote him a letter after his retirement, just. Kind of saying, yeah, hey, you know, if you ever want to do a tell-all, here I am. Well,
3: I mean, it was just so obvious that when he retired, um, there was going to be a lot of ripple effects from that decision. And, um, you know, any driven person knows that you just don't walk away from something like that. You, um, It's something that you have to process and that it stays with you. And, you know, you built yourself to be a certain type of person and you know, now that person is gone and you mourn, it's loss and You have to figure out what's next. And, um, those are the themes I wanted to explore with him. <clears throat> and he wrote me back a very polite email saying like, Hey, I'd love to talk, but you know, might be two months, might be two years. I'm not quite sure when, um, and we just kind of stayed in touch periodically over the years. Seth, I'm going to
1: do like a book report and then I'm going to have you grade it. Okay. Okay. Um, The overall gist, and I want people to read the article by all means, okay, because there's a lot of great stuff in there, including, you know, like excursions with them and all kinds of stuff. Tremendous detail. But the overall gist that I took from it, and we were on the air, so I'm kind of skimming it, right? Was that Andrew Luck loved the game of football and loved what it afforded him, but Andrew Luck found within him a resentment about football because in his opinion to be the best player that he could be he had to be all in and he started to resent the fact that football was forcing him to be all in in football which was depriving him being Andrew Luck in other areas of his life
3: well kind of I think that it was more he didn't like who he was as that guy I think that like you know, we, we think about Andrew Luck, remember, you know, he was the guy who could have done anything coming out of Stanford. He could have been, you know, an engineer, an architect, a scientist, whatever it might be, and yet he chose to, you know, devote his talents to football, it, when in fact he was a very limited guy. He was a junkie. He, he took that incredibly seriously, and I think he was under so much pressure, taking over for Peyton Manning, that, you know, he developed a a way of living, a survival mechanism that was pretty ruthless. And it was ruthless, you know, not only towards the outside world where he would um you know, sometimes if people were visiting his apartment during the season, he would disappear, go get ready for bed and come out in his boxers and just say goodnight and turn off the lights. Telling everyone, you know, that's that's essentially how he was telling everyone it was time to go. And um even his his longtime girlfriend at the time felt like a silo and a siloed life. Like he just kind of made decisions for her because, as as he told me, you know, when you are a quarterback, you know, you, you simply have to sort of believe believe certain things, and it's not really the most healthy way to live, and it seeps into other areas of your of your life. And I think that when he got hurt, all of those. Things that he had, you know, hardwired himself to be really almost got put into a blender and started spinning faster to the point where he really didn't like who he was um, as a football player.
2: Again, Seth Wickersham is with us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Seth's latest, again, really the gold standard for in-depth writing. uh, ESPN.com, Andrew Luck reveals why he walked away from the NFL. First on-the-record quotes we have from Luck throughout the last couple of years. Um, Again, just scanning this, Seth, but I think fans, one of the biggest issues or, you know, just kind of disagreements with Luck is the timing of the retirement two weeks before the start yeah. of that 2019 season, and it sounded like Andrew Luck has a lot of regret over that.
3: I think that he wishes if he could go back. I think that he wishes he had retired right after that 2018 season. Um, you know, they had he had come back, he had played terrific, won a playoff game, and. Um, I think that he wishes he had just walked away. Then he had accomplished everything that he wanted to do. He had come back from the shoulder injury, which derailed his career and played at a high level. Um, and his foot was bothering him, but he kind of, again, went back to this path of, um, you know, who he was as an injured quarterback and not liking who that was. And it was a slow reversion, but he was doing it nonetheless. And, um, Fast forward years later, he's speaking to a high school football team in Colorado, and he asks questions, you know, for questions. And the first question he gets is, uh, you know, a little kid who asks him, like, well, what's the biggest regret of your career? And he's, like, kind of, like, you know, cussing in his head. He's like, you know, I wanted a softball. You got to ask me this right off the bat. But he did. He tells this high school team something he had never told the city of Indianapolis or, or anything until now, which is that he regretted the timing of his, of his retirement.
2: Most interesting anecdote for you and talking with Andrew?
3: Um, I mean, there's just a lot. Um, you know, it's hard to, to pick one. I think that, like, obviously, when he disappeared and he goes to Holland to try to rehab his shoulder midway through the 2017 season, you know, that was some of the reporting I really found interesting because he was working with this trainer named Willem Kramer. And he had known Willem for years through a connection with his dad. But, um, and, and you know, Willem would come visit him periodically after he hurt his shoulder to massage his shoulder and try to get it ready to go. And finally, like through the 2017 season where Andrew's not playing, Andrew calls him and says, Hey, can you come back and try to get my shoulder in shape so I can try to play this year? And Willem says no. And Andrew Luck was not used to hearing no from people. And he said, you need to get out of that. You know, you're under too much pressure, too much stress. You need to go somewhere where it's just you, Nicole and your shoulder. And you're working on that. And, um, So he goes to Holland, and the very first day he shows up at this PT facility, he tries to do a drill called Snow Angels, where he has to lift a a two-and-a-half-pound weight on his back and, you know, mimic the Snow Angel, and he couldn't do it with his right arm. That's how damaged his right shoulder was. And he's despondent that night, and he just says, you know, I don't know if I can do this. And um, it took a while, but what Kramer ended up doing was kind of opening Andrew's eyes and letting him allow himself to believe that he was something more than just a quarterback that he was actually a person that he was okay for him to express himself and to share how he feels about things and it was a real transformational six or seven weeks in Holland and I think that like that stuff learning about that transformation I think was just one of the most fascinating things that I did in the story
1: Seth you just touched on this but I wanted to circle back to it because there is so much I think in Indianapolis for people it's not even so much of what Andrew Luck deprived the them if you will because people feel like they have this and you know like hey we were going to win Super Bowls and whatever else but the manner in which he did it in terms of the timing I don't have a problem with that personally but um can you elaborate on Andrew Luck's I guess retrospective emotion on the time in which he retired and is it did it take him a while to perhaps grasp what that meant to the fan base
3: um you know, it just came together quickly. And, um, you know, he's telling, you know, teammates the week leading up to, um, uh, you know, his retirement and, you know, again, they had planned this ceremony and then it gets out during the game. And I mean, he just felt stuck. The last couple minutes of a preseason game, as we all know, are the longest minutes in sports. And, Word had gotten out, all the cameras on him, and he had nowhere to go. He could not do anything. And, um, you know, he ends up rushing off the field into the locker room to tell the team, many of whom didn't know that he was going to walk away. He had told some people, but not everybody. And then, you know, he's rushed up there to give his speech. He goes home that night. And, you know, the next morning, in the next afternoon, you know, he's kind of like in a fog, in a cognitive fog. You know, he doesn't know what to do. What's the first day of my life not as a quarterback? What do I do? He tried to put together a crib for, um, you know, their daughter who was on the way. Couldn't figure out where, couldn't find where the screwdriver was in the house because, obviously, like, he was always working. He was never putting things together. And finally, that afternoon, he stepped in the shower, and he just started crying. And I think that the profound unburdening, even if he couldn't quite, Describe all of his emotions, I think, really hit him then.
2: Again, it's a must-read. Seth Wickersham is with us right now. Um, ESPN.com, why Andrew Luck, and honestly, more than anything, it really is just kind of a time frame over Andrew Luck's entire career. Super introspective and details everything from Luck and his family and those close to him on what he was going through um, in trying to play the game of football. Seth is with us right now. Uh, do you think he ever ever entertained any thought of coming back
3: not seriously but i think that like it took him a while but i think he finally figured out that you know he missed the game because he had fallen out of love with it and in the process of falling back in love with it, it took a while it took years but accepting that it's a part of who he is and that he loves it and that, you know, sports should be part of his life going forward. Cause he didn't know what to do. You know, he was a stay at home dad, which he enjoyed doing, but he wanted a career and you know, he thought about maybe buying into an MLS team, starting a venture capital fund. Um, he thought about joining ski patrol because he loved skiing so much. Um, you know, but he ended up like circling back and just thinking that maybe he wants to be a high school football coach. And, um, uh, you know i think that like again the process of like trying to allow football back into his life has been something that you know that's taken years
2: is there anything he would not answer on the record he answered everything
3: in
1: terms of that did he get into you know around here the whole snowboarding accident that compounded his shoulder injury and his yeah, love of skiing, you talk about it. It
3: didn't. Yeah, it was. It was a. It, you know, it was a. It was an unforced error. But it was. It didn't mess up his shoulder worse. It kind of added to the problem, like you said, compounded it. But it wasn't something that like, you know, materially impacted his rehab or anything like that. I think that like again, his shoulder wasn't working right. It didn't help, definitely. But it wouldn't have changed the trajectory of his career if he hadn't been at snowboarding.
1: Lastly, Seth, do you feel like in talking to Andrew Luck, is Andrew? And I don't mean this in a snide way at all. Do you feel like Andrew Luck now is a guy that is at peace?
3: I think he's getting there. Again, it's like you know, wanting to you know, what does he do for the rest of his life? And you know, is high is coaching high school football what what indeed he wants to do? I I I think that that's it, but I don't know. I mean, I think he he, you know, he's been under so much pressure for so long. And I think that what he wants more than anything is a little bit of space and the ability to uh, pick his profession and his next step without the overwhelming crush of it being Andrew Luck doing something. And we'll see how that plays out.
1: Uh, Speaking of high school, by the way, Seth, you went to the same high school as the guy that invented Wikipedia. Did you go to service high school? i did yeah
3: the guy invented wikipedia i didn't know this yeah so i was Look wondering like did,
1: did you actually use textbooks or did you guys were you required to research everything via wikipedia which is all-knowing
3: i i had no idea that the founder of wikipedia is a service high cougar graduate but, <laughs>
1: that's right go know, cougars larry, go larry sanger yes, mark yes, slareth and yourself right all yes, service anchorage Alaska.
3: Rest assured that we use textbooks. However, I can't say that I opened them or made the best use of them at, the, at all the time during my life there. But um, yeah, I had no idea.
2: Well, I guess on that note, Seth, I will end with this. Um, in five years, will Andrew Luck be the head football coach of the Breckinridge Broncos and then a ski, you know, instructor in the, you know January type months? I could see that. I could see that. I mean, I think that also, it's not just coaching, it's teaching
3: that I think he has a passion for. Remember his book club. I mean, he's long had a lot of thoughts about, you know, educating young people. And I think that, like, that's something that he'll want to do. I mean, again, he's back at Stanford. He's getting his master's in education. And I think those are, like, the the things that he's thinking about in terms of what he wants to do.
1: Hey, lastly, real quick. We got, like, one minute left, Seth. Did Andrew Luck express any re- regret or remorse towards... or? ill will I guess towards Adam Schefter for the timing in which Schefter broke that news and admittedly that's Schefter's job
3: I, know, I think he was disappointed that it got out because I think that you know he's someone who often felt that he wasn't in control of a lot of things in his life but um you know it's it, you know it, it was a huge story and um you know it, it got out when it did so it didn't he didn't get to do his retirement as he wanted which I think he was disappointed about but um I think that's you know,
2: that's it. Seth, outstanding stuff. Uh, I hope Indy treated you well. I assume you've made quite a few stops here over the last year or so. Great, great work, and I uh, appreciate you hopping on on short notice.
3: Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: Nine o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's the nine o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Query. Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton is flying the ship for us. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5107.5, uh, 5, the fan. Joining us down the Payless Liquors Hotline from The Athletic is Bob Kravitz. And, Bob, we want to talk mostly about the Colts and the possibility of, say, Jim Harbaugh, which I think is a very strong possibility for their coaching vacancy, and I don't want to completely blindside you here because I know it's early in the morning for most, Um, but there is an article on ESPN.com where Andrew Luck finally spoke about his decision uh, on why he walked, and it's a very, very, very in-depth article, but essentially in skimming it, what it comes down to is that Andrew Luck basically said, look, my body got to the point where it was affecting the relationship with my girlfriend, soon-to-be wife. They had been married, actually, at the time, um, mm-hmm. and I think he started to resent football because he realized that the only way that he knew how to have a self-identity was as a quarterback, and it was important to him to start being able to see in himself uh, more of who he was than just a guy that played football, and I don't think that that's necessarily surprising. From Andrew Luck, Not at all.
4: Not at all. No, I, I I really felt that there were some, you know, so much of what we do is, or so much of what we think of ourselves is, you know, uh, tied into what we do. And, you know, I, I, look, what he was doing was not bringing him joy. It was making him uh, a person that he didn't like. And he didn't like the person he saw in the mirror. And it was affecting his. Uh, His uh, relationship with his girlfriend now wife, I I, I have said from the very beginning, he did the noble thing. He did the right thing uh, for himself. It sucks for Indianapolis. It sucks for Colts fans. But, uh, yeah, I'll I'll have to take a look at it. I just rolled out of bed. So, uh, thanks for uh, the heads up.
2: Again, Bob Kravitz with us here from The Athletic. Bob, your latest on Jim Harbaugh and the Colts should pursue Harbaugh Um, just kind of the genesis of this story for you is this more of a this is what I think the Colts should do or I'm hearing some whispers on either side of the ledger there
4: no no whispers Uh, it's simply me saying that as I look at the landscape of the of the NFL of the college game uh, he's the guy who I think needs to be their primary target uh, whether he will be or not whether he is already or not I have absolutely no idea I, I did reach out to several people who usually put me on this on this on the uh, the correct road and I got a lot of no no comments a lot of a lot of people who usually tell me what's going on were not saying anything so that tells me there might be something there that's just my intuitive intuitiveness, uh, my instinct. But um, I I think that if you want to make a splash higher, that um, it's more than a splash. I mean, Jeff Saturday was a splash, but I don't think he's going to work out. You want to make a splash higher for a guy who's had a ton of success at every level he's been at. I think Harbaugh is the guy. The question is whether Harbaugh would, A, want to leave Michigan, uh, which he did last year and B come to this crap show because this this has been a complete disaster.
1: I think Bob th- having nothing to base this on other than just tea leaves and, and gut feeling uh, I think Jim Mercy had his eye on whether it's Jim Harbor or not I don't know but I feel like when he knew that Frank Reich was not the guy that Jim Mercsey had somebody in mind immediately and it wasn't Jeff Saturday but that Jeff Saturday, that allowed him to get Saturday in the building, and Saturday knew it, and so Saturday was going to man the ship for him and give him an inventory, but that there was somebody specific that he had in mind as opposed to simply, I'm going to post this on monster.com and see who applies. Right, right. No,
4: I, I would agree with you. I Look, these guys, the minute they hire a coach, they, they start compiling a list of coaches who are going to replace them. I mean that's just the way it is. You always have a list of coaches in your back pocket, whether that's the head coach, assistant coordinators. You always have that those that list, that wish list that you're at your uh, uh, you know available to you, and so uh, that that would not surprise me. And I, I think it's Harbaugh. I, I really do. Uh, you know, Jim wants to make a splash. Um, Whoever whoever comes in next, and however it works out with the GM, Jim, Jim Ursay has just got to back off. Uh, I think, look, I don't blame the season on him. Um, I think it went south after they benched Ryan, uh, although, you know, Ryan is, you know, uh, they probably would have lost both those games with Matt Ryan. There are no good alternatives. I hear you guys talking about, Benching Matt Ryan, I'm like, what difference does it make at this point? They're going to lose every game until they get to Houston, regardless of who they play. I mean, you might as well bring Scott Tolzien back at this
2: point. Again Jesus, <laughs> that's just imagining that makes my eyes start to bleed a little bit there. Again, Bob Kravitz with us here from the Athletic. I, 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 I want to go back to a point you made a little bit earlier about hardball in kind of referencing maybe how attractive this job is i mean obviously at some level bob it's one of 32 right but right. without a quarterback without potentially a top five seven pick we'll see where it ends up falling and the fact of jim mercy's actions have been um certainly pretty aggressive and meddling here this season and the awkwardness of like a chris ballard jeff saturday front all like whatever however that all plays out uh, do you think that could cause some hesitancy for you know very high-level candidates of the Harbaugh's or the Sean Payton's of the world. Well,
4: Sean Payton Sean Payton, when he said he won, there are certain dysfunctional franchises that he would not even consider, he was looking directly at the Indianapolis Colts. Directly. Um, I have talked with uh, uh, people uh, in the New Orleans media who know what, what he was referencing and I can tell you with 100% certainty that he was talking about the Colts first and foremost. So, Sean Payton ain't happening. Uh, Harbaugh, you know, like he's going to have better opportunities in the Indianapolis Colts. But you, what we don't know is, you know, his feelings about Indianapolis, his feelings about the Colts, his feelings about Jim Irsay. Um, you know, he he may have very warm Feelings towards all of them, and, and want to come back and, and fix this mess. But from a, from a totally objective standpoint, why would you go someplace where it's been a clown show for all all year long? Um, the owner is meddling. Uh, the GM is very strong willed, and you don't you, you know. There's a likelihood he'll be back. So yeah, this would not be my first choice certainly if i was jim harbaugh
1: bob do you feel like in the last year you know jim mercy is a well-respected owner amongst people in football i don't know about necessarily amongst other owners i think there might be some resentment about him but do you feel like in football circles in the last year that jim mercy has hurt his reputation absolutely and the thing is i that he bolstered
4: his reputation with what he said about Dan Snyder and then a couple of weeks later he's uh, mandating the move to Sam Ellinger uh, which basically was the end of the season as far as I'm concerned uh, you know you can rip the players all you want and certainly they deserve to be ripped but I think I think that was the white flag of surrender and I don't think they've ever recovered from that um, yes I think Jim Irsay has handled himself terribly uh, this season, I say that as someone who likes and respects him immensely. Um, but it is what it is. You know, uh, he, he mandated the move. He got rid of Reich. He got rid of Bray. I mean, it's, you know, he's trying, he's trying to sell all this as collaborative, but I, we're not idiots. You know, we, we, we know where this stuff's coming from.
2: And Bob Kravitz with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Bob, you think better chance Jeff Saturday or Chris Ballard's here next year? I think both. You think both are here?
4: I, I think both are here, yeah. I the, Again, the whispers I'm hearing is that Ballard is back somehow. Personally, I would blow the whole damn thing up. Um, you know, now, whether Saturday is the guy or not, I don't know. Again, I like people with experience. You know, if I go in for a, for another heart surgery, I'd like a guy who's done it before or, or a woman who's done it before. Um, you know, it's... I think we have seen the lack of experience bite just in the butt here in the last couple of games. Um, you know, some of the quotes I've seen, uh, for even from Jonathan Taylor, who's, you know, the, the consummate team guy talking about uh, not being prepared for, for some of the curveballs that were thrown at them by the Cowboys, really I thought were... Uh, I thought they were focused on on the coaching staff. This is just not a very good coaching staff right now. So I, I think both I think both will be back. But I, do I have a strong feeling about it? No. Um, but I, I think they're going to find room for Jeff. I think there's a golden parachute here for him. And I, I unfortunately think that Chris is going to
1: is going to be back. I, I just Bob, when it comes to Chris Bowden, I, 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 but. Go ahead. What's that? I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know how you sell
4: that to the fan base, but you know, if you can get Harbaugh in here, that would take some of the sting out of it.
1: Ballard to me looks like a guy that doesn't want to be here, I, and maybe he does. I mean, I'm not, but just his body language, his uh, oh yeah, everything about it from from top to bottom. I I almost feel like, and, and this shouldn't have anything to do with one's football acumen. Bob, but you tell me if I'm being too critical. I feel like Chris Ballard almost it would behoove the Colts to have him go to like media training, I, and, I, and I don't mean that because of us. I'm saying I think fans feel that. Like I think fans have a hard time buying into the Colts because they're starting to resent just kind of the manner in which he carries himself. But is that? Uh, am I being too too critical? I, I think.
4: Ninety-nine percent of the time, he's been phenomenal with the media. Honestly, and, and, and
1: somebody, yeah, I don't mean when I say media training. Maybe I, I said that wrong. I just body language training, like like oh, PR, yeah. PR training. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. just overall presentation amongst like within the mass communication.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look the the way the way he acted on the night of Saturday's hiring was uh, really. Uh, unfortunate let's just say um he looked like he was undergoing a prostate exam that night and it was not it, it was just not a good look um you know i have long thought that ballard would just walk because he's been emasculated by the owner but you know what you, you'll 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 put up with a lot of bs for that paycheck there's only 30 of these jobs so I, I, I tend to think he's going to stick around for, for a while because he has amassed some good talent. Unfortunately, they're at all the positions that don't really matter as much.
2: Yeah, and again, it, under contract through 2026, I believe. Um, exactly. Chris and Powell, remember,
4: yeah. remember uh, they kept Pagano on for an additional year because Jim didn't want to be paying both Grickson and Pagano for doing nothing
2: you think Matt Ryan should be benched, Bob? I, I think there's a financial component that probably supersedes all of that um, in my thought process there, but do you think we uh, should see the end to his Colts tenure? Well, you,
4: you, somebody's got to explain to me, maybe you, uh, what the financial component is, because uh, Jim, Jim has insisted there's no financial comp- component. He's been very uh, out, outward about that. Uh, very adamant is the word I'm looking for. And uh, so what, what is the financial component we're talking about so here?
2: So Jim, I think when Jim has referenced it, he's referred to it as playing time. It's not playing time. There's two bonuses that Ryan's due next March. Um, roster bonuses that add up to like $17 million. And if Yikes. he were to get hurt in these final four games uh, and unable to pass this physical, you would owe him an additional 17 million for next season on top of the already 12 million that you've guaranteed him for next season if he does not get hurt or doesn't uh, you know play then you can move him before the start of the new league year and you would not owe him that 17 million okay
4: all right well um, I should have known that but I wasn't aware um, yeah you might at this point you might as well throw slinging sammy out there or even Nick Foles, the uh, prehistoric remains of Nick Foles. At this point, you might as well. I mean, it's
2: not like you're going to uh-huh. win with any of them. You're not going to win with any
4: of them. I mean, you're you're going to win one game. You're going to you're going to be Houston because Houston's going to be actively trying to, you know, sew up that first pick and get themselves a quarterback. Um, yeah, I mean, if if the financial component uh, is what you say it is, and I don't doubt you in the least. Um, You might as well well sit them down. But, yeah, I mean, at this point, it makes no difference. You're not going to win with any of those three guys.
1: Bob, I look at the Colts' situation, and I try to be an optimist in terms of thinking about the quick turnaround, and maybe it's Jim Harbaugh as the coach. But then I think about the fact that they have no certainty at quarterback, they have uncertainty still at wide receiver. They have uncertainty on their offensive line, and they have some certainty defensively, but but not maybe as much as we thought. Right. Uh, you you tell me uh, what is the answer here? I, I mean, uh, how and they're in a stacked conference. What does the next five years look like for the Indianapolis Colts?
4: Uh, relatively bleak. Um, uh, they, look, they got to get. They got to get. Um, you know, their quarterback of the future in this next draft. And I think they sit ninth now. And I was looking at the list and there are three teams of them that desperately need a quarterback. Although I'm not sure about the Detroit lions. I mean, Jed, I've heard the lions are looking going to be in the market for a quarterback, but Jared Goff just put up 40 and he's having a good season. So I, I don't know how desperate they are necessarily, but, um, there's some talent here the you know it's not like the cupboard is completely bare i think once you get the quarter the right quarterback and that's that's the the rub i think things will fall into place rather rather quickly but you know i I think we're looking at a three to four year kind of rebuild because again you know they're good at left guard but left guard doesn't win you games they're they're good uh, in the interior of the defensive line, but that doesn't necessarily win you games in the NFL. So they're, they're in good shape in areas that don't matter. They, they Not don't matter, but don't matter quite as much as edge rusher, um, as quarterback, at wide receiver, those are the areas where they're, they're, they're probably wanting.
1: Does Jonathan Taylor most benefit Indianapolis over the next two seasons because of the amount of yardage he can accumulate or because of the pieces that he can get them if they decide to move on?
4: Oh, I would I hold on to Jonathan Taylor. Um, you know, I, I still think he's a special, a special player. Um, you know, I'd be curious to see what happens next year because, uh, You know, second contracts for running backs are really dicey things. Uh, We saw it with Ezekiel Elliott. We've seen it with a lot of players that those guys just don't last very long. It's a damn shame, but it's just the way it is. I would hold on to him for the time being. But that's a very good question. Sounds like you gave me a column idea.
2: (laughs) Bob, last one from me, shifting over to the Pacers. Considering maybe preseason expectations, you've been more impressed with Benedict Matherin or Andrew Nemhard? Wow. You know, we
4: had a story in the Athletic They asked us all to name our biggest surprise. And, look, I expected Benedict to be a really good player, you know, being the number six pick. But here's Andrew Nemhart, who's the what, first pick in the second round. I think he's 31. He's been tremendous, and he, he just lit it up last night. I would say that Andrew Nemhart has been the, the bigger surprise for the Pacers, just given where he was drafted. He is, he's got kind of a chameleon uh, sort of sense to him as far as his game goes. He fits in beautifully with, with any unit you put out there with him. Um, and he's got kind of this weird old guy game. He's not a great natural athlete necessarily, but uh, he's great in the pick and roll. I mean, just awesome in the pick and roll. And so, yeah, I think nemhardt has been a bigger surprise, and I'll tell you what, that wasn't a bad trade for Karis LeVert.
2: no.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, Bob. To me, Still Nimhard, got a first-round
2: pick coming from it.
1: Yeah, and Nimhard, to me, the thing that has been most impressive with Nimhard is the fact that he seems to be the one who has the greatest understanding, if there are limitations with him, of what his limitations are. In other words, he's yeah. not trying to do too much, and that's really, really, really rare to see in a rookie.
4: I remember texting Carlisle after a uh, preseason game. And I said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll clean it up a little bit. But I said, gosh, that Nemhard, he, he's like he's like a, he's got this wonderful moxie about him. And we, we we talked on text for a while. He loved his game early on. He he could see right away that he was going to fit beautifully. And what a great draft pick by Pritchard and, and and the staff. I mean, you look at some of the deals they made over the years and some of the draft picks. This past two years, they've really gotten it together. I mean, Isaiah Jackson hasn't been great, uh, but I think he's going to be a player. The, the The issue is now, guys. They've got to understand it's not about this year, even though this year is going really well, especially after that that you know the wins against the Lakers and the Warriors. Um, it's still about next year and beyond. So, I mean, I, as well as. Miles is playing. You've still got to move him. Whether Heald is involved in the trade, I don't know. I like what Buddy brings to this team, um, even though he's a little bit older, you know. But I still think, you know, shooting, shooting. You can get really old and be a great shooter and, and, and have an impact. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I just hope that they don't fall too far in love with the way they're playing now and, and decide not to uh, think about the future uh, as it relates to miles Turner and other players.
2: I'll say it every day between now and the trade deadline. If miles Turner is not going to sign an extension, you have to have to trade him. Have Period.
4: To, have to. There is Period. There's, no, there's no And they know that they know that the only thing that worries me is somehow Herb gets involved and you know, Herb loves his little team and Suddenly they decide not to do I just don't see it happening. I, you've got to move Miles Turner. And to Turner's great credit, he's been phenomenal this year. He's been the best he's ever been. And, you know, he's got an opportunity that he's never had before. And the fact that he's in a contract year doesn't hurt either.
2: Bob, uh, always enjoy our conversations. Enjoy the bye week and uh, go back to sleep. I'm going back to sleep, boys. Well, Purdue fans certainly hope these lyrics do not play out for Jeff Brom with the Louisville opening. Now, Scott Satterfield, Louisville head coach to Cincinnati. So the dominoes have happened. Luke Fickle, of course, to Wisconsin. Job opens at Cincy. Scott Scatterfield goes there. The Louisville opening is now open for the second time in the Jeff Brom era at Purdue. To talk more about that, Tom Deanhart from On3.com joins us. Um, Tom, let's start here. I guess when Jeff Brown made those comments in the spring about Louisville, did that change at all, your thinking on if it win, that opening were to happen again, how he would view it?
5: I mean, I think we all along, going back to 2018, when this first flirtation took place, when he almost jumped back to Derby City after his two years in West Lafayette, I think at that point we realized the siren song of going back home was always going to be there, was always going to be wailing. And and to hear him make comments, you know, like he did this summer, not a shock. It just doesn't seem like it's just an inevitability. It's not if, it's when. I mean, maybe I'm being too pessimistic there, but there's never anything done to really shoot down. The potential move back home is there's never any words verbalized. He could come out right now and say, "Hey, I'm I'm, at Purdue. I'm Purdue's head coach," but it's radio silence. We talked to him yesterday at the press conference. You know, he said all the right things. had not been contacted. Uh, the ball's still rolling. Let me say this real quick, too, guys. He was in Indianapolis visiting recruits yesterday. Jeron Tibbs, you know, Gilbert, the big defensive tackle from Cathedral, Dylan Feneman. Supposed to start visiting recruits further away on Monday, so he's still out looking for Purdue, selling Purdue, trying to you know secure these commitments for 2023.
2: Yeah, he certainly did not, you know, close the door on it yesterday with his comments. That is interesting on the recruiting front. Um, do you know? Are there any? He got a contract extension back in April, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, are there any specific Louisville clauses within the contract that you're aware of? And what did that extension entail?
5: No, there were no Louisville clauses uh, specific to any schools at all in it. Um, I guess the one noteworthy thing, if it's that noteworthy, it's a, a million-dollar buyout. If, on his end, if he leaves before the expiration of the contract, that's really the biggest thing, I guess, of note. Um, <clears> you know, you never want to keep somebody someplace they don't want to be, right? I certainly wouldn't want to be. And you know what, I'll be honest with you, too. If, if you were to depart for Louisville, I think we would all
1: understand it, right? Totally. I I agree with that, Tom.
5: Six years, and you look look where Purdue was at before he got here. It was a train wreck. I mean, to use an analogy or a metaphor for Purdue, but it was a train wreck. And what he's done in six years is pretty remarkable. So, again, six years, he's done his job, guys. He's hit the high mark this year. If you're ever going to drop the mic and leave, this would
1: be the time to drop the mic and leave. It just seems to me, Tom. Tom Diebenhardt is our guest from On3.com. L- let's talk about you know Mike Babinski, who I like a great deal. I, you, know, you have more dealings with him than I, but in my limited dealings, I've liked him a lot. Um, and I remember, you know, initially he and Jeff Brom almost did like a like a tour of going around the state to different media people and, and trying to get people excited about Purdue football. And obviously winning games is what does that, and Purdue has put themselves in that position. But it seemed to me like they were they were guys that were close enough that Babinski would have had exactly what you're talking about, Tom, an understanding, right, of like, hey, listen, you can't take it personally when, when the guy's leaving to go home. But is there any possibility – that their relationship is not as rock solid like this is feels like my son-in-law type. And I don't mean in a bad way. I don't mean that they dislike each other. But are they as attached at the hip, seemingly bonded together, close friends as they certainly seemed in the beginning?
5: You know, I I don't pretend to know their, the details of their relationship. But from my view, it always seems to be a strong relationship. I, I see them talking very often. Um, Again, I think there's a lot of communication there. I know they speak every Monday after the press conference. I think Mike probably has another time during the week where he he talks to Jeff. So I think they talk, and again, it seems very amicable to me. So I don't think there's any rift there at all. Like you said about Mike Kobinsky, great guy to work with. Um, Very good with the media. He always returns your calls, returns your text, promptly. And uh, just, again, a guy who gets it. Good fit for Purdue. So, again, I don't think there's any rift there that would cause friction to want to cause Jeff to leave. But who knows? I, I got to think there's two guys, right? Mike Mobinski knew this day was probably coming, if not now, but sometime down the road. You got to think. He's got that top desk drawer with his contacts. He's already probably vetting people. Talk to people back channel wise and have some people lined up. Should something pop here, obviously.
1: So to parlay off that, and I know that we're being speculative, but you know, hey, for the sake of you know, it's it's the holiday season, so, so we'll sit on Santa's lap here, right, and make wishes for something that um, may, we don't even know if they'll deliver. But hey, Santa always delivers. That is true. Santa does, but but Santa in this case might not have to. Although I think he's going to have to. So Tom, are there any names of coaches that? came through the purdue tree that you would look at and say that guy is probably ready now to be elevated or do you think babinski simply goes with somebody who is long-term established and if that's the case who do you think he has an eye on
5: yeah i'm not sure if there's anybody with with direct purdue ties um that would be a super hot candidate um i guess one is always one of my favorites well, I think we do a great job. It does have Obviously, great Purdue connections. To this is one of your cities. Find Kevin Sumlin. Played at Brabuff. Played at Purdue. Head coach at Houston and Texas A&M in Arizona. He's in the USFL now. I think he'd take the job. Check a lot of boxes, guys. This would be his last job if he got it. Come back to his alma mater. I think he would enjoy it. But you know what? People they've talked to in the past, before they hired Brahm, guys like Troy Calhoun at Air Force, um, I think he's always going to be on the radar. Joe Moorhead's at Akron now, but he had a terrible year. But I never really talked to Joe Moorhead last time. Willie Fritz at Tulane I think would be a good fit. And, uh, you know, there's, there, there's some people, too, at Alabama. There's a new uh, associate AD at Purdue named Tiffany Grimes who worked with Nick Saban. So you look at the people she worked with at Alabama, guys like Charles Huff and Marshall, and even a real big-picture guy like Bill O'Brien. At Alabama. I'm not sure if a guy like that would be interested in Purdue or not, but you just keep him on your radar. And there's there's the typical other names like Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Would he want to lead, you know, Dave Aranda, Baylor, Dave Dorn at NCC. So guys of that ilk, you could go any number of directions. here. So I do think guys when you think Purdue right higher, you probably want a guy who comes from the offensive side of the
1: ball, right? Mm-hmm well you know what's interesting tom i, I agree a couple of questions here number one does the departing presidency have anything to do with f- how much flexibility they'll get in their search with because mitch daniels was a pretty sport-friendly president who i think had a really good relationship with those guys as well you're right that that's a great
5: great question no idea wang chang i think is the gentleman's name who's taken over I've not met him. I'm not sure what his interest is in athletics. He's got an engineering background. Sort of a 180 from Mitch. He's more of a business guy. they got more of an academic guy. So who knows? I, I can't pretend to know what his thinking is. I'm sure he's being looped in, guys, but I can't imagine he's looped in day to day. He doesn't want to get bogged down in the details of a coach search if it does take place and all the drama that comes with it. But I'm sure he'll be looped in. And I'm sure Mitchell, Mitchell Phil is there and probably Phil and then let him know how he should react and what he's done and maybe how we should move
1: forward too. Tom, I want to read to you. Tom Deanhart is our guest from On3.com. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I want to read you a, a tweet that I got and I guess we can combined react to it. I had said, aside from the obvious factors with Jeff Brom, one of the things that might weigh into his mind is, in particular, with USC and UCLA coming to the Big Ten, and and then theoretically perhaps Stanford and Oregon as well and the realignment if you will of divisions i had said that Purdue might have in Jeff Brom's eyes hit the glass ceiling of getting to the Big 10 championship game through the west because they're about to realign everything and so therefore things might that that path might have been a, a once you know every 8 year type situation and somebody said, how in the world did you can you say he hit the glass ceiling? He made it to the Big Ten Championship game with three stars and walk-ons. The ceiling has not been hit. Uh, your thoughts? Great point,
5: great points on both sides. Um, you look at that roster, you just sort of scratch your head. You know, How did he get eight wins out of that team? Uh, how many NFL players are on that roster? So, again, do um, you know what? I, I've been around this program, this school, my whole life. a lot of incarnations of coaches and programs and it's largely remained the same. They'll pop up and have their good year every now and again. Can never consistently compete with the elite. Um, Sure, Purdue may not be at the glass ceiling, but they're darn close. And I don't think there's much room left. Uh, They're never going to be like Ohio State or Michigan. Maybe I'm being too negative about it. But again, um, I'm with you. I tell you what, with this conference adding those teams from the West and then presumably going to one division in 2024, top two teams to get to the championship game. I think even the most dyed in the world Kool-Aid a Purdue fan would have a hard time thinking they got a good shot to get back to that title game. We could be wrong. I mean, crazy things happen from year to year. We see it, but still, boy, Jeff Blum's got him as close to the top. And I don't think he's probably ever going to get with with maybe just a little bit more room to go, possibly.
2: Again, Tom Deanhart with us on 3.com. Does an outstanding job covering Purdue football. We appreciate his time each of the last couple of weeks with us. I do want to go back to Saturday night. Um, I felt like they played pretty darn well in the first half and moved the football pretty much all night long. It just seemed like I get the fake punt, the flake fake flea flicker, if you want to call it that, as well. It just seemed like one more was needed. One more, instead of settling for a field goal, you needed to punch one of those in to put, I think, real, real game pressure on Michigan in that second half.
5: Yeah, 14-13 at halftime. Purdue fans had to feel good, right, going out and drinking their, their Schlitz and their black label at the Concourse at Lucas Oil. But then, like you said, they're kicking five field goals. Michigan's scoring six touchdowns. You look at the stats, Purdue moved up and down the field between the 20s, dominated time of possession, outgained Michigan as well. But, again, the yards get tougher inside the 20. And that's where Purdue obviously could not cash in. And, guys, you watch football a lot. The listeners watch a lot of football. It's a line of scrimmage game, right? And that's always where Purdue really struggles, the line of scrimmage. Now, the D line's pretty good, I think. That O line, though, has always had a tough time matching up and getting a consistent push. I think it's been better this year. They've dealt with attrition, too, but again, that, that's where the games are always wanted. Purdue just could not impose its will. From a run game standpoint, especially in the red zone, couldn't impose couldn't their will on a very, very good scout Michigan team. You know guys, too, I asked Jeff Brom in the game about this, too, and he just sort of looked at me and goes, you know, Michigan's a pretty good team. And you <laughs> tend to forget that. you got to give the other team credit, too, right? That's a team that's 13-0 in the playoff.
2: Early thoughts on LSU and the Citrus Bowl?
5: Boy, I think they're about a a five-and-a-half point favorite, I believe. I posted something last night about what is Purdue's roster going to look like by the time we get to January 2nd. Who's going to be the coach? So we talk about so many questions that's than a month away. I have no idea. Purdue, I think it's going to be an uphill battle, but I said that last year when we went to Nashville to play another SEC team in Tennessee, and they found a way that day, guys, without George Karloftis or David Bell. Or Milton Wright, or one of the starting cornerbacks, or starting defensive tackle, or starting left offensive tackle, and still found a way to
1: gut it out. that was a crazy game. Crazy game. One of the craziest I've ever seen. Tom, I'll tell you what's crazy. Anymore, there are two phases now for any school in bowl season the first is the fun of waiting to find out what bowl game you're going to Mm -hmm. then the second is to find out the fun of which of your players are actually still with your school
2: (laughs) or in produce case coach potential yeah
1: i mean it's (laughs) it's unbelievable right like the I, i mean you name the school like i i mean i i personally you know follow clemson they've lost or not lost, but they've had seven players that got minutes, got snaps, that are all announced to the transfer portal, and you think, like, holy cow, they're getting decimated. Then you look around and you go, I don't know, that's like the norm now, right? I
2: mean, Notre Dame's starting quarterback literally entered the transfer
1: portal. Uh, It's crazy.
5: Yeah. It's too bad because it's supposed to be the celebration, the apex of your season. Right. Right. And it's just uh, that's what's disappointing about it. You lift weights in July and August. You do all the two-a-day stuff bang your head into the wall on salaries to win games and then you get to that point where you get the bowl bed and then your roster falls apart and your coach may leave. I mean, that's a story that repeats itself across the country each year and it's just a crazy sport to see to see the apex again, the climax of your season be so anticlimactic I guess. It's just it's kind of sad really.
2: Yeah, I know the answers aren't easy but we've got to define some regulations with some of this transfer portal stuff because it's just too wild, wild westy right now. Tom, I'm uh, thinking about you and the message boards over the next couple of days.
5: <laughs> Don't go there. Don't go there. Hey, hey, hey real, real quick, too. If something's going to happen. It's got to happen fast, right? Maybe maybe something pops today, tomorrow, but I think something's got to happen quick. But right now, guys, Jeff Brom is still suiting up and showing up and outselling Purdue. So just keep that in, in the back of your mind as, as we continue to, I guess, fans continue to wring their hands and, and wonder and worry and wait. Great info, as always, Tom. Thank you. Take care.